If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Hayley Randall. Hayley has a PhD in Animal Science. She's the ex-president of the International Society for Equitation Science and as well as being an honorary fellow of the International Society for Equitation Science and she's an associate professor of equine science. How are you, Hayley? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Good. Now, Hayley, I want you to now introduce yourself with an inspirational quote. Have you got one for us? Well, yep. One of my favourite sayings, which actually drives my poor son up the wall, is that <laughs> every day is a school day. And he normally looks at me and goes, oh. But seriously, I think we can all learn something. And I reckon that if we can learn something new each day mm. from somebody, then, you know, things are going well. Yeah, I, I think that is good. I think it may not be the physical school that you go to, but, yeah, there's learning in every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's often from the silliest little things that you never really consider. So I like that one. Do you tell your students when they say, oh, I didn't, you know, didn't finish that assignment or I couldn't get that done over the weekend, do you say every day is a school day to them? Well, no, not, <laughs> not quite in, in that way for fear of getting the eye rolling that I get from the nine-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, with our students, I do the same as I do with, with any any living being, really, is treat them all as individuals and, you know, just say, okay, so what's the problem, what's holding you up, mm-hmm. and so on, and then, you know, one-by-one one basis, really. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it okay. seems to work quite well. Okay. All right, Hayley, can you tell us a bit about how you started with horses and what your first memories were? Well, um, as a child, my cousin, um, and I actually have quite a lot of cousins, but one in particular always had a couple of lovely ponies. And if I was lucky, I would get to hold them for her at shows and things like that. So I was kind of typical schoolgirl, always really wanted a pony and had the pony bedspread and curtains in my room and, you know, a riding hat with no horse to ride. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, my kind of first real riding experience actually didn't happen until I was about 26 okay. when I was finishing or finishing my degree with a project on a farm which was to do with cow behaviour. My degree was biology and psychology and the psychology department was brilliant because it was connected to farms. So I ended up working on a, a cow project with Dr Mark Kylie Worthington and she had a lovely herd of Arab horses and yeah the rest is sort of history really. Mm, mm. I was going to say then from there, you know, how did you start your career or start your research with horses? But was that it then, you know, starting there or did you you sort of have another bit of a story you can tell us about that? Oh, I've got another little bit of a story. (laughs) So I, I finished my project with the cows and then ended up getting a scholarship to do another three years actually working on her farm looking at personality and beef cows. But during this time, I really got to know her Arab horses really well. And, and I guess the way she, she taught me to ride, because at 26, I'd done nothing apart from the odd sort of leisure ride with a sort of trekking centre and things like that. So that was really good because she was very much of the mind 
in a way, she was one of the first equitation scientists because she was always saying, you know, you have to understand how the horse learns when you're giving him the aids and, and all of that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that was all happening. And then when I finished my PhD, I got a job teaching statistics at Plymouth University, which I did for many, many, many years. And as part of that job, we had um, connections with what we call partner colleges, which is where they delivered sub-degree level courses, but were getting into delivering courses. So they wanted to build on their HE, sorry, their equine sort of lower level courses and turn them into degrees Mm -hmm. or have degrees for them to go into. So I started working with some sort of other people who Mm -hmm. are actually some of my best friends now, setting up what were then called HNDs and foundation degrees for students who could then progress into a full-blown degree. So that was my first experience of actually teaching and sort of writing courses, which is actually about teaching equine science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that really took off <laughs> more recently over the last 10 years with the whole equitation science degree and master's programs in the UK and so on. Yeah. yeah. Then I left the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but you're working, you know, you're sort of working in a university in that equine science department now. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I've joined um, Charles Sturt University yeah. in the vet school and we have um, an equine science course, which I say we have got a really great team of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all got together and just reviewed the course and made sure it's really up to date and actually addressing what the current industry needs yep. because that changes virtually every year. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. been really good. It's been, you know, I, I'm not too proud to say I have learned a lot because the industry in Australia is very different from the industry in in the UK. Mm -hmm. So I came here and then immediately panicked and went, oh, my God, I know nothing. (laughs) Which, you know, it's kind of good for you, but it's scary when it happens. For sure, for sure. I think so long as you you can still say, well, I know nothing, but I'm prepared to learn. I'm open-minded. I want to get into it. And I think that's the sort of attitude. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And the first year students love it when you say, okay, guys, I don't know anything about camp drafting. Can you teach me? Mm, mm, Sort of within mm. the framework of what I'm trying to teach them about the principles of welfare science and so on. So, yeah, very sort of collaborative. Thinking of the first year students and the students as they progress through, what do you think are the core skills or character traits they need to commence in the horse industry? You know, some some students you might have that have already started working in the horse industry and want to further their studies. Yeah, but, um, in fact, yeah. most of our students, you know, they already, already there. Um, work yep. in, yep. in the industry. Mm-hmm. And quite a lot of them work in parts of the industry where people don't believe there is actually a need for higher education okay. around equine. You know, yeah. you just learn your skills on the job. But, I mean, there's a number of sort of main skills, particularly for working around horses, is that they need to be able to actually open their eyes and see what's going on in front of their noses. Mm. Quite often, and I wouldn't just say this with students, I think we all we all do it, we have preconceived notions of what we're seeing and how the horse is going to behave, and it might be based on his colour or what somebody's told you or his breed or his size or whether he's a stallion and, you know, all those different things. Mm. So I'm very much, you know, you need to see individuals as individuals and don't just do what everybody else says. You have to be independent. Another core skill that I think they need to be confident and that's partly for working around horses but also, you know, working around people. Mm, mm. And the really big one, and I mean, you see this in all parts of the industry all over the world, is having patience and actually being able to respond to the pressure of daily life, which, you know, we all know can get a bit difficult at times sure so 
Yeah, they're, they're the kind of things. And, and basically, if it's anything to do with horses, be prepared to work really hard. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. What do you think is the best thing about working with horses? The horses themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I mean, I bet, I bet you get that answer. Oh, I think so. And you know what? Even the people that say, oh, well, it's a bit flexible, it's a bit this, then you know that it's the horses because of the way that they talk yeah. with the passion of the job that they've got. But it's, yeah. it's such an obvious choice. You know, that of course you're working in the yeah. horse industry. And actually, if you don't like horses, you don't have that passion, it's probably not a very good industry. But if you've got that passion, you know, that's, that's yeah, a bit different. I, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't summarise it better than that, really. I mean, because my part of the industry is around the sort of education of people within and around the equine mm. industry, mm. I've always been very much driven by seeing people learn. And if it's learning and helping the horse at the same time, then you know, that's like the, the best combination. Yep, yep. And for me, I mean, we I've been very lucky. I've worked with students who've been very high performers and, you know, got top class degrees and PhDs and so on. But I'm still very fond sort of memories of, of when we were working with students who had not really much confidence to even come to university mm-hmm. and see them achieve, you know, a kind of an average grade. But the fact is they did it and they didn't think they could. Mm-hmm. So... For me, that's that's quite a buzz. And I can't actually see myself working in education in any kind of management role where there isn't a great big chunk of teaching. And anybody who's worked with me will know that, that, that I would predictably say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about people who've influenced you, you know, just sort of helped you along the way with your horses? You've already said, Dr. Is it Keely Worthington. Keely you know? Worthington, yeah. Yeah, you've yep. talked about her. Anyone else that um, you uh, want to mention? Yeah, I mean... Uh, there, there, there was Mark because she was one of the supervisors on those research projects I was talking about and then mm. taught me to ride and actually eventually sold me one of her horses, mm-hmm. who was my first horse. But more recently, there's, there's been all the people that I've worked with within the Equitation Science Society. But one, you know, one of the, the special people for me is um, Professor Natalie Warren. Um, she had a sort of a similar background in that she'd also worked with Mark quite early on, although I didn't know that. And we sort of shared some hilarious stories mm-hmm. of working with a scary lady, but just a very well-respected animal welfare scientist. So, of course, equine, but everything else as well. And she's actually taught me how to be sometimes a bit more strategic. I'm very much a, yes, 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 I'll do this, I'll do that. I want to be part of this and mm-hmm. and so on. And sometimes you, I have learned quite recently, you have to take a step back and say, okay, I can't do everything. This would probably be the best in terms of, for me, mm-hmm. benefit mm-hmm. to students. But, yep. you know, that's yep. been a bit of yep. a learning thing yep. for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good. Good. good one. <laughs> well, what about horses? Have you got a horse or a number of horses who've influenced you and helped you? And Well, they all teach you something. Mm-hmm. And the number one horse for this would be Crystal. She was actually an Arab mare that I bought off Mark. And actually, most of the lessons I had with Mark were actually on Crystal. We weren't supposed to have favourites, but I did. <laughs> so she was a 17-year-old purebred Arab mare, crabbit line, so really nicely bred English Arab. And I bought her when she was 17, which most people went, oh, my God, why did you buy such an old horse? But she was about 14, three, and she rode like a 17 and horse. Mm -hmm. And I had her until she was three weeks short of 30. And she just taught me so much. And she she never really retired because she just kept having so much to give. Yep. So anybody who knew her would, would agree completely. And, you know, the one thing I had to learn is that any subsequent horse 
even if they were grey Arabs too, <laughs> could not be made or compared to crystal. They're all their own individuals instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all taught me something. <laughs> and I think that's an important lesson to learn too, you know, is and even individuals but on individual days, you know, just because they did it yesterday doesn't mean they're going to do it today. Absolutely. Mm. Yep, that's mm. absolutely right. The one thing with her is even when she was having a, a silly moment, you knew that she always knew where all of her four legs were. Yes. So you'd yes. feel safe. Yep. The one that followed the gelding, um, Rom, he, he could have silly moments and you thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because his legs went everywhere and he didn't really know where they were. And I definitely didn't know where they were. But, yep. you know, yep. we did our journey together. I lost him at 24 and we all came good, but together. Yeah. Yeah. With the help of a lot of the equitation science thinking kind of made things clearer in the way I was sort of trying to teach him things. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was good. What do you think your proudest moment's been? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, sort of talking in terms of the horses, I mean, I used to do a lot of endurance and we got a really high special award. And that was obviously with Crystal, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Super Grand. <laughs> that was really good because... I really liked competing in endurance because it wasn't quite so driven as it is these days. It wasn't all about speeds. It was just about getting points for bringing your horse back in the the suitably fit state without getting any penalty points for cuts and bumps and so on. So I was very proud of that because that was also about how I looked after her, not just about riding on the day. So that for me was a really big one. More recently, it's kind of not directly with horses, but horses were involved was actually... Um, working with my colleagues here at CSU is is pulling off the 2017 ISIS conference. And I've got to say that was absolutely wonderful. It was fantastic and it was very, very well put together, you know. Yeah, I I would be proud of it as well. Yeah. When did you start working for that? Because you put a lot of work into it. How long did it take? Well, I was appointed to the job here in, oh, well, I took up the post in September 2016. So we probably started working on it in about November 2016. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then it kind of went a bit quiet for a bit as, as I was sort of finding my way with my new job. And it was really just the last six months run up where everything was sort of full on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep, you know, yep. it's as much about learning who the right people to talk to in all, with all the service departments and so on. And, and you know, they've become very good friends as a, mm-hmm. as a result of this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now... Just thinking about um, people with equitation science, what's a common fault that you see thinking around the whole equitation science subject, a common faults with riders, trainers, handlers, whoever? I think a lot of the time people expect too much of the horses. They don't really appreciate, I guess, and this is actually the first year lecture that I've just done with our new students about the biology of the horse and it's not just about how fast he can go and how much the muscles stretch and what you put on his feet but it's about the kind of mental ability that a horse has and a lot of people will assume that the horse is able to know what you're thinking and actually have much higher expectations of his mental ability and don't really appreciate the limitations that horses have because their brains aren't all about the thinking stuff they're also about controlling four legs Mm, mm. And you, you do see that quite a lot. And even with our new first years, when they come in, they've all had some kind of handling experience, some of them extensive. And you just think, do you really appreciate that that is actually a really big ask for a horse? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also having sort of, you know, worked quite a lot with people that handling and riding is they beat themselves up too much as well. They have too high expectations of themselves. 
mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. of course then leads to frustrations and things not working, which then sort of passes into the horse and it becomes a bit of a bit of a downward spiral really at times. So thinking of fixing that problem to start with, what can they do? What would you say to them if they've got high expectations of the horse, high expectations of themselves? I think they need to gain a basic understanding of how a horse actually learns and what a horse responds to. I mean, they'll they'll have had experience of what a horse responds to and they may say things like, you know, the horse doesn't like it if I do this. And actually, that's probably more telling, analysing that than actually what the horse does like because... Mm you can actually see where something may may have gone wrong. So I think most of the time it's probably just taking a step back, taking the pressure off the horse mentally and physically and also themselves and really just trying to understand where the horse is coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But without being all sort of, you know, fluffy and wordy with it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. What about now thinking about equitation science as a science, thinking about where we are now, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for equitation science? Well, that's interesting because that's really kind of the theme of our conference we had this year, which was equitation science in practice and then collaboration, communication and change. I think anybody that's been around it and probably around trying to improve horse welfare has realised that we've really got to a point where there's a lot of information out there and masses of information coming out about riding and sort of measuring things. But it's now got to the point where None of that is of any use unless people are ready to actually listen to it. Mm-hmm. So I think sort of things like challenging tradition, and I'm not saying all tradition is bad, a lot of tradition is really good, but sort of challenging currently held beliefs where, you know, you do something because you've always done it that way, regardless of whether it's the best thing for the horse or not. So the whole area of behaviour change, which is also big in the whole animal welfare area, sort of over and above horses as well. But I think that's that's where the whole expectation science thing is that it's almost at a point where it has to sort of take a breath or pause and go okay so what are we going to do with all of this information that we've got out there we've published loads of things in papers that a lot of people don't read because they don't have access to them there's a lot of lay magazines and people sort of out there writing about it in rider speak which is really good because they're doing a really good job But the one area that we actually need to be really careful about is quite often people will publish a little bit of data saying that a piece of equipment is good under a certain context. And then everyone just goes, oh, you can use those. It's fine because they showed that. But it's basically only a little bit of information in one context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we just need a whole load more research, but we need to be more effective what we do with the findings. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was a bit of a big answer. Sorry about that one. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's good. And I think it's almost joining the science, you know, thinking of joining scientists with practitioners, you know, and having the practitioners take advantage of all the work that has happened. Because there's a lot of work that's happened within equine science, but it hasn't necessarily got out to practitioners. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there because it's it's about making the arrow go both ways, mm, mm. not just changing information, you know, from the academics and researchers to the practitioners. We need the practitioners to tell us what they think we need to know yes, and yes. to research. So we've definitely got to that point. And in fact, with this conference, I think we had a higher number of practitioners proportionally than any of the previous conferences. So that is a real, in my mind, you know, quite a success point, really. Mm, mm, mm. That's good. I want to talk to you about the future of equitation science, but there's a couple of other things I want to ask you about first. First of all, 
a book that you could recommend to our listeners? Oh, um, it's Black Beauty. <laughs> okay. Anna Sewell's okay. Black Beauty. Yep. Obviously, you know, it's quite a, a UK-based thing. Yep. And yep. she was very influential in setting up what is now the Horse Trust, which is mm-hmm. a, a big charity that actually funds lots of projects on horse welfare, yep. sort of on a national and increasingly international level. So that, to me, is a book that all... All kids, all people that have anything to do with horses should read. She really questioned a lot of the fashions of the time, didn't she? You know, fashions yes. to do with horses. and The bearing rain. <laughs> yeah, and the myths, you know, yes. what people then were currently held beliefs. You know, she challenged them. So we look at yep. it now and go, well, why would we do that? But, you know, yeah, yeah. there was a lot there. So she really... I suppose the fact that she was there and challenging it and doing it in such a lovely way in a book form. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's really interesting because every year I pull out my various copies of it and wave it at the students saying, you must read this, you must read this. And and when you do that thing, when you've been around for a while and you, you bump into old students occasionally, it's not happening quite so much for me, having moved halfway across the world, but they go, I read it again last year. Like, oh, Black Beauty? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I read it every couple of years again and it's really good. I'm trying to get my son to read it, but he's more into reading motorbike books oh, okay, at the minute. So. Okay. And I was going to say too, for the listeners, if you, you wanted to pick up a free copy, I've got an ebook that I can put on the website that will be available just for download. So that would be really good. And I'm sure that a few of your students will want to have a read of it as well, Hayley. It's quite a good, yeah. Brilliant. I had it when I was very young, but I've read it more recently and thought, yeah, she was really smart the way she wrote that. Yeah. Mm. You look at it in different eyes as you learn more stuff. Yep, yep, that's right. Okay, now if you can summarise your philosophy with horses, how would you do that in a few sentences? I would say that you need to appreciate the horse for what he or she is so all horses are individual just like all people are different and really open your eyes and actually see what you're looking at taking sort of note of the smallest little signs and you know often a sign is a horse just not doing something rather than doing something and then sort of in terms of how you are around horses is this whole thing about being consistent around them, not giving them mixed signals, but, you know, literally just being very aware of what you're doing and your body language and even just the way you say things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, consistency. All right. Now, before we go, what do you think is the future now of equitation science? I think it's about this collaboration and communication. It's about taking a big sort of, you know, the next big step forward but I think we can only really do that if we have academics and practitioners and everybody else around all of that sort of pulling in in the same direction so that includes things like the you know the governing sport bodies um, and sport governing bodies even Mm -hmm. and so on and I mean we have these days this whole kind of strength in social media and I think we all know that social media can cause a lot of problems particularly on sort of individual levels but there really is becoming a lot of sort of action out there where you can really demonstrate people's beliefs in mm-hmm. how right or wrong a certain practice is and so on. So I, I think that needs to be harnessed and actually used, you know, effectively and in a sort of valid way. And I, I think that in terms of expectation science in relation to assessing horse welfare, which is after all the underpinning of what we're all doing, sure. is that people are becoming more open minded and braver about answering the questions that we never wanted to answer, which were things like, you know, what is a happy athlete? Because you've got the word happy 
that's a sort of very humanistic term and everybody would shy away and say, well, we'll just prove that they're not not happy because you can measure things. So we're entering a sort of a, an area where we need to find measures, either direct or indirect, of how, you know, how a horse may be feeling. And that's hard to do really properly. So mm-hmm. I think that's where we're, that's our next big step, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, now how can people contact you? By email, that's probably the best way. So is that something you want to put up there or do I just read it out to you? <laughs> Look, you can say it or else we'll have it on your page anyway, which will be horsechats.com slash Hayley Randall or yeah. go to horsechats.com and slash Hayley and we'll have the link to that book, Black Beauty, the download there, the free download. So, um, yeah, you, you'll have to get your students to go to horsechats.com and just search for Hayley or search for Randall and they'll come across it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's great. <laughs> All right. Brilliant. Well, yeah. Thank you yeah. very much for talking to us today. It's been good. And, you know, as I said again, I think you did a wonderful job with the conference. It was very good. Thank and you. Uh, look forward to attending some more. Yeah. Well, we're kind of plotting the next ones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We've already talked about that actually on the show. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we might even put the details of that on your uh, on your page as well. And that'll be in Rome, isn't it, this year, later this yes, year? Yes, that's right. Yep, yeah. Yep. So we'll put the details on your page as well. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.